I thought, well, this summer, since we have a number of guest speakers speaking on topics, I asked Pastor Jesse, I said, well, i tell you what, give me a few weeks in a row so that I can do a series on a book of the Bible. And so Jesse said, oh, great, I'll give you three Sundays in August, today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. So I thought, okay, I have three weeks, what am I going to do? Well, I ended up <clears throat> looking at 2 Peter. 2 Peter has three chapters in it. So we're going to take a look at a chapter a week, which a lot of people would just laugh at because there's a lot in there. And I entitled the series, Stop, Look, and Listen, being a train guy. The stop, because as we will see, we need to stop believing the false teachings that are out there. The look, well, here are practical steps for you to do to grow as a Christian. And then the listen, listen. There's hope. There's hope because there is a better future coming for every believer. So stop, look, and listen. So who wrote the book of 2 Peter? You might think, well, it's pretty obvious. It's Peter. Well, that's very true. But a lot of scholars have debated this issue. In fact, this is one of the, the books that scholars debated whether Peter actually wrote it or not because there's words in here that Peter didn't use in his first letter and also because there's some big words in there that Peter was like, well, no, he couldn't have written that because he was just an unschooled fisherman. But as we take a look at all of their objections to Peter writing this book, it's pretty obvious that it was Peter who wrote the book because as Peter used scribes to write down things. So as Peter was talking, most likely a scribe took his words and did some wordsmithing. And so that's how we ended up with the book of 2 Peter. And also because it's a totally different topic than he wrote in his first letter. So it does make sense that he used different words for his second letter. And it's kind of interesting that uh, in the book of 2 Peter, it talks about being on the Mount of Transfiguration and him saying, I, I heard the voice of God. Well, you know, that could only be Peter, James, or John. And since it starts out with Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, it had to be Peter. So, yes, as we take a look at it, it has to be the disciple Peter who became the apostle Peter. Most likely he wrote this book uh, from Rome because he was a prisoner at this time, somewhere in 64 and 66 AD. So, what would prompt Peter to write a second letter to the same group of people? Because as we will see in uh, chapter 3, 
he says, hey, I'm writing a second letter to you now. So why would Peter write a second letter to the same group of people? Well, today we're going to take a look at the stop, look, and listen, but we're going to focus in on the look. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles or turn in your device to 2 Peter chapter 1. And it starts out with Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the same Peter who saw Jesus calm the storm when he was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. He was the same Peter that walked on the water. And like I said before, excuse me, he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the same Peter who saw Jesus do many miracles, but yet, denied him. It's the same Peter who saw the risen Jesus and spoke with him and actually ate with him on the beach. It's the same Peter who was restored to ministry after he denied him. It's the same Peter who spoke forcefully and boldly to the religious leaders when the leaders told him, don't teach or preach about Jesus. It's the same Peter who preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. And he's writing this letter to Christians who were scattered around, probably from the time that they were in the church in Jerusalem, and then because of persecution, spread around the Mediterranean. So he says, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Christ Jesus have received a precious as faith as ours. Have received a faith as precious as ours. It's a clear indication that he is writing to Christians here. To people who hold their faith precious. He says, grace and peace be yours. But notice there's... There's a clarification here. Grace and peace be yours. What does he say next? In abundance. I like that. He says, hey, not only grace and peace to you, but grace and peace in abundance. Many times over and over and over, grace and peace to you. Because he knew that they're going to be heading into some pretty difficult times. Some have already experienced some very difficult times. And so he's saying, look, grace and peace to you. Man, may it be multiplied over and over and over again. May you have it in abundance. And you know, what are two qualities lacking today in our world? Grace, that's pretty obvious because of how we see people treating other people. There, there isn't a grace, is there? And when there's no grace in treating people kindly, you certainly don't have peace, do you? You don't have personal peace, and you don't have peace among people because they're not treating each other gracefully. Yeah, we definitely need grace and peace in our world. But then he goes on to say, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. How do we get grace and peace? 
through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Ah. The Apostle Paul says, hey, how can people get saved? How can people know about God unless we go and tell them? People, you know, we just heard about Bryce sharing about an unreached people group. How are they going to know unless we go and tell them? Unless they learn through knowledge about God. Peter is saying, hey, <clears throat> grace and peace be yours through your knowledge of God. Peter hammers this idea of knowledge over and over again. We see it in verse 2. We will see it in verse 3. We will see it in verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> we'll see it in verse 8. We'll see it in verse 12. In chapter 2, we'll see it again in verse 20. And in chapter 3, we'll see it again in verse 18. Knowledge is a very important theme. If you want to be a person of grace and of knowledge... You need to know God. You need to know Jesus. Not merely the facts about him, but getting to know him by spending time in his word, by spending time praying, by spending time in Sunday school, having the chance to interact with other people, being part of a small group where you have a chance to talk about different topics and how they relate to your Christian life. Knowledge is important, and Peter makes that very clear. You have grace and peace because of your knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Again, through knowledge. You know, these are interesting words here because it's like, yes, this is awesome. This is wonderful. We have everything we need for life and godliness. I mean, it's, it's wonderful, but yet it's also sobering because it's wonderful in the fact that we don't lack anything to, to succeed as a Christian, to to live out our Christian life. How many of you guys have ever started a project and you came up short? You know, you don't have enough wood, you don't have enough paint, or you don't, you know, you're just like, oh man, you know, I gotta run to Stolzfus hardware store and get more, you know? And it's like, Bleh. yeah, it's kind of frustrating because when you don't have enough to finish it, or how many of you ladies try to recipe? And you're like, oh yeah, I gotta do this, and, and then you were short on something. It's like, oh man. But as a Christian, as a Christian, we have everything we need to succeed in living out the Christian life. Now, the sobering part is, every time I choose to sin, I can't say, well, God, it's your fault because, you know, I, I, I didn't have the, the power to overcome it, or I didn't, you know, I wasn't strong enough as a Christian to... We, we can't say that. We can only say, yeah, I choose to sin. Because, Peter says, by God's power, we have everything we need for life 
and for godliness. We have God's power within us because of God's Holy Spirit to help us to live out the Christian life. No excuses. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. In verse 4, Peter says, because of God's glory. Because God has called us for his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. We have everything we need. Because of these very great and precious promises, we're not going to be touched. You don't need to be touched by the world's sin and destruction. I like this. Peter says, very great and precious promises. Isn't that awesome? It's that, well, you know, it's not just, you know, well, you have this, but it's a very great, which means <clears throat> it's of high value. If it's very great, it has high value. It's, it's highly esteemed. It's, it's cherished deeply. And he says it's very precious, which means that it's of high worth. It's of very high worth. So he goes on to say, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now, what does that mean that we may participate in the divine nature? An interesting thought there. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? Well, <clears throat> our human nature is what makes us us. It's, it's our character. It's our person. It's our inherent character. And as the Bible says in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Our character, who we are, has been touched by sin. And our sinful nature keeps us in bondage to that sin and leads to spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We can't free ourselves from sin because we cannot change our nature. But when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we undergo a radical transformation. This is what Peter means when he says that we are made partakers of his divine nature. Because when we trust Christ as our Savior, we get a new nature. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Ephesians 4.22 and 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. As partakers of the divine nature, we as believers do not need to follow the old sinful nature anymore. As believers, as partakers of the divine nature, we are no longer enslaved to the sins of this world. As part of God's family, we have a changed life. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, indwelling us, where God declares that we are more than conquerors because of God's indwelling Holy Spirit within our lives. And Peter declares, God's power has given us everything we need to live a godly Christian life. And since we have this godly Christian life, we don't need to get caught up in the evil destruction that's in the world around us. <laughs> I thought, you know, you know what Peter's saying? Hey, Satan, you can't touch this. You can't touch this because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have a new nature. And Satan, you can't touch us because we have God's power that has given us everything, everything we need to live a godly life. Now that you know about these promises and what God through the Holy Spirit has done for you because of your faith, this is how we are to respond. He says, all right, for this very reason, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Wait, what, what do you mean, add to your faith? I thought that's all I need. I, I don't need anything else. What, what do you mean, add to your faith? Well, I like to look at it this way. Instead of adding to your faith, what you're doing is you're building upon your faith. It's not that you have to have something else beyond your faith to be saved, what he's saying is now that you have this saving faith, I want you to add on to your faith these things or build upon your faith these things. Because, as he says, uh, down in uh, verse 8, because I don't want you to be ineffective or unproductive. See, it's not a matter of, hey, you're not saved if you don't do these things. What he's saying is, if you build upon your faith, you will not be ineffective. You will not be unproductive in your life as a Christian. So what are we to build upon our faith? He lists them here. Goodness. Build on your faith goodness. 
fulfilling God's design for a life with moral excellence. Build on your faith knowledge. We talked about knowledge. Study and understanding God's word so that we have an understanding of who God is. Build upon your faith self-control, where you're revering God so much that we choose godly behavior. Perseverance. Build on your faith perseverance. Having a hopeful attitude, even in difficulties, because we are confident of God's promise and because of God's character. Build on your faith godliness, honoring and revering the Lord in every area of life. Build on your faith brotherly kindness, displaying a warm-hearted affection through your actions for fellow believers. As we were talking this morning, um, as, as Bryce was sharing about um, they were in the villages and able to go in people's houses and talk to the people about Jesus because um, they were asking questions like, you know, why are you here and things like that. I, I had the thought, you know, what would happen if we would do a kind deed for our neighbor? Now, some of you on farms, your neighbors are miles away. I understand that. But for some of us, we have neighbors, you know, close by. Well, what would happen if you do something nice for them? And in process of doing something nice for them, tell them, you know what, I'm doing this because I love Jesus, and I want you to hear about Jesus. And that's, isn't that an open door? Wouldn't that be an open door to be able to do that? That's kind of had that thought this morning. No extra charge for that one. Displaying a warm-hearted affection through your actions for fellow believers. Building your faith, brotherly kindness. The last one he talks about. Love, sacrificing for the good of others as you selflessly serve them. Peter says, look, build on your faith these things so that you are not unproductive, you are not ineffective in living out your Christian life. As I was thinking about these, it's like, yeah, that's, that would give us an assurance of our salvation, wouldn't it? If we are building on our faith these things, wouldn't that give you a sense of, yeah, God is at work in my heart. God is using me. You have a sense of, well, yeah, I, I am truly saved. Because I know I've talked to many people who struggle with, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm not sure. You know, you know I said this prayer or I came forward, you know, I this, but how, how, do, how do I know that I am truly saved? Right here it is, folks. Are you building on your faith these things? That's how you can know that, hey, yes, you are truly a believer because these qualities are seen in your life. 
And then he goes on to say, in verses 12 to 15, look at this. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them well. Wait, wait, I'm going to remind you of these things, even though you know them well and are firmly established in the truth you now have? What? Why is he going to remind them of things that they already know? They, are, they already have that knowledge. I mean, they have a firm grasp of what it is. It's not like, well, you need to know this better. But he goes, hey, you know what? <laughs> I will always remind you of these things. How come? <laughs> How come he's always going to remind us of these things? Is it, you know, out of sight, out of mind? Is it because these are absolutely important truths to always keep at the forefront of your mind? Um, why? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm forgetful. Or sometimes I get caught up in my circumstances or in my emotions that I tend to forget some things. And I need to be reminded of some biblical truths. The Apostle Paul reminded his readers in, in, the, in Romans and Philippians and 2 Thessalonians. He said, I want to remind you of things that I spoke to you when I was with you. Next week, next week we, are, we will partake of the Eucharist, the bread and the cup. Why? What, what, what did Jesus, what did Paul say that Jesus told him? Hey, do these things in remembrance of me. Because we need reminded. We need to be reminded of what Jesus did for us the cross of Calvary. That's why communion is such a big deal. Because we are remembering our salvation, how it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. It's a very serious matter. And I, I want you to, this week, just begin to take time to think about what it means to be a Christian and what it cost Jesus for your salvation. Well, the first chapter ends this way. He said, you know, folks, everything that I wrote is absolutely true. And here's why it's absolutely true. Because you know what? I was with Jesus. I saw him. I heard him. I witnessed some incredible events. I even heard the voice of God. And you know what? Everything the prophets wrote, that they came true. I saw the Holy Spirit come. And he says, I want you to read this and understand this because of Jesus, that he came back to life after he was crucified. It's because of Jesus that these things are true. And we can believe 
everything that Jesus said. I want you to leave here today feeling empowered. I know that's a really popular term today. But we are. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to live a godly life. We have everything we need to, not, to live an effective and productive Christian life. But I also want you to do a gut check. Now, don't look at your stomach, but do a gut check. Am I adding goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love? Am I adding these to my faith? Am I building these characteristics on my faith? Remember, God's power within us enables us to do that. That's the cool part. How much of these qualities are seen in your life? Peter says, study. <laughs> know God. Know the power that you have available to you. And you can live an effective and productive Christian life. Because Peter said, hey, everything I said is true. Everything I said is true because of Jesus. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick up with 2 Peter chapter 2 next week. But again, I want you to feel empowered as you leave. I want you to be working on building on your faith those seven different characteristics. Because the only way that we are going to make a difference in this world today is by building those characteristics in our life. Let's pray together.